Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as my conversation partner today, Rebecca Um. Rebecca is the daughter of a dear, dear colleague of ours here at Winning at Home, and we've had a chance to get to know Becca a little bit via distance through a recent story of hers. And Becca has been bold and brave enough to share uh, a story of loss and grief and hope and healing uh, in her own personal journey. In episodes past, we've had episodes where we've talked about grief and loss, also pregnancy loss and miscarriage. This is an extension of that conversation. And Becca, thank you so much for being willing to join us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. So tell us a little bit about Ezra's story and um, how it unfolded. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a long one, but that's okay. So I found out I was pregnant end of May. Okay. We didn't know any signs of a complication at that point here in the States, because I know other countries do things a lot differently. You have an eight-week scan, then your 20-week scan. And so I had my eight-week scan. She was in the utero. That's what you want. And I was really naive to believe that if you had no bleeding or any cramping, your baby was healthy. And if you were super sick, baby was developing well. I had all those, all the sickness, minor cramping, minor bleeding, just the normal pregnancy things that you deal with. And then September came for a 20-week scan. The tech just kept scanning and scanning. And she was amazing because she hit a lot of the complications that was quote unquote wrong. I hate saying that something was wrong with my daughter. Just not earthly healthy. She just said, I can't find the gender. Doctor will call you to reschedule another anatomy scan. And so we were like, okay, we'll just cancel our gender reveal and then go forward that way. But at this point, you didn't have any sense that something was not what you thought it should be. Right. Okay. Um, she had, you know, all 10 fingers, a head, knees, sure. everything. She she was, you know, perfectly formed every way that God created every person to be. Right. So, yeah, at that point, we had no inkling or indication that something wasn't right or developing right. The next day on September 13, my OB called me and he said, things don't look well and your baby will not live outside of you. And so I said, what does that mean? And he said, there is a heart complication and there's underdeveloped lungs, severe swelling around her skin and severe fluid around her body. So we were like, okay, what does that mean? What are our next steps? And he said, you have to go see a specialist in Grand Rapids. And I felt like you've been sucker punched. And his words were, I won't hang up on you don't worry, like I'm not just going to call you and tell you there's really bad news and just be like, okay, bye, have a good day. And so I just waited there. And then I was like, do I, what What do you do? Yeah. And he's like, you just wait until MFM calls you and you'll go from there. So that was a Tuesday and they didn't work on a Wednesday because I called the MFM and I was like, hello, is anybody going to answer my call or sure. my referral? because your urgency level is high at this point. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, who doesn't work on a Wednesday? I was so just not angry, just like frazzled about what, what do you do? Yeah. yeah. I went Wednesday. I went to my mom and dad's and I told them. My mom didn't cry right away, but 
she cried afterwards after she was on her way home. Then I slowly told my siblings, we slowly told my mother-in-law and sister-in-law as well that she wasn't going to make it. And so then that Thursday they called me, MFM called me, and they were like, we can see you Tuesday, September 22nd. And so I was like, okay, great. Not great, but like great, we got in. Sure. She was a great tech because if everything looks normal or not, they can't tell you. They can't say, baby doesn't have a heart, baby doesn't have this, baby, whatever. You have that right as the patient to say, if something's wrong or I see something that I don't understand, you can call in your doctor or a radiologist. When we got to MFM, she said, I'm not going to hide anything. I'm going to point out everything that we see, um, that we don't see. I felt relieved about that. And so she started to scan, measured her head. She was small, developmentally. She was 20 weeks. She was measuring at 18, things like that. She had severe calcifications on her colon. Her left side of her heart wasn't growing. And a bunch of other things that, you know, you don't want to see or hear in your child. And so we just were watching. But it was neat because you got to see her move and, like, be alive and kind of react to being pushed around. And you're like, I'm so sorry. And then our specialist OB came in and was like, there's hygaroma and fetal hydrops. And we were like, we don't know what that means. And he's like, we'll break those terms down later. And then... He was like, my guess is it's trisomy 18, trisomy 21, and then Turner syndrome and another trisomy there was in there. And we were like, how do we know what it is exactly, which trisomy or Turner syndrome? He was like, you can do the amniocentesis. And so we did the full amniocentesis, and we waited four days for that result, and we found out that it was Turner's. And Turner syndrome only affects girls because they're missing their full Y or one of their X's. I forget. But it it only affects girls because they don't have the Y in the, yeah. That's kind of where we were at our 20-week. And then he told us that we had about 10 days until she would pass. Becca, I'm sorry. What was it like to be on the other side of that meeting? Not comfortable. And you wish that it could be fixed um, because we live in a very solutionized world. And you're like, you can't do surgery. You can't do early intervention um, because Turner, this case, is terminal. There are some people who have severe downs, which is trisomy, I think, 21. Babies survive that. And some babies survive trisomy 13 and trisomy 18. But this case, it just the cards weren't in her favor to stay here. That was so hard to just sit there and be told, because I thought we had more time. Yeah. I thought, oh, I could carry her till 32 weeks. No, we were told you have like 10 days. Okay. Mm-hmm. And where did things transpire from there? Shortly after that, we planned her funeral. Okay. And then we prepared for labor and delivery. So my dear friend, My mom's dear friend actually works at OB at our local hospital, and she's done it for years. And she delivered my niece, Noelle, and my niece, Ava. So we ride the girl train over there. I reached out to her, and she, well, my mom reached out to her first, and then she reached out to me. And then I was like, what do I have to 
do prepare like my body for labor, anything that I need in writing and stuff like that. Um, and she said the big two things you'll have to decide is if cremation or bury, and if you want an autopsy or not an autopsy. Of okay. course, something that no 23-year-old mom wants to decide ever. And so I was like, okay, those are really good things to put, though, at your list of what you want done because there's the other side where people find out their baby has passed and there's been no preparation, which is so heartbreaking because you shouldn't have to prepare for that side. She just helped me prepare of, like, what to expect labor and delivery-wise. And then we had dear friends at the funeral home, family members too, and she helped set up the funeral arrangements as well. What was the memorial service like? The weather was cold, but still surrounded with a lot of love and still a lot of celebration for a life that is and still lives on and a life that was and who she was and what she taught all of us. Because it really teaches me that you're not here for forever. Mm. You're not inevitable. And what matters to you is like the tiny moments of just love and joy because I look at my labor and how painful it is physically, but there's a pain deeper than that because losing your baby, you never want to experience that, where I see see it as a joyful thing, even though it was supposed to be traumatizing and terrible. So I can see that. What, if I can ask this, like were there ways that you saw God show up through it all, Becca? Yeah. Talk about some of those moments. My parents are a huge blessing of why, first of all, I believe what I believe, that there is a heaven. And seeing God transition our marriage for the better, because it's crazy when they tell you that Satan comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And he's done just that in our marriage. He's come to seek, kill, and destroy and where we can stand on the other side and say, you can't have this. Mm. You can't have her daughter. You'll never touch her. She'll never know darkness. And that's God saying, I have her. Like she's mm. she's in light. She's in the most joyful place that she could. we could all be in. Yeah. Kind of jealous. <laughs> like how warm and how exciting it is. And I think about the moment in time too where God was like, Ezra's coming. Mm. And he was like, oh, my goodness, she's here. Yeah. And all the angels sang and all her family members that are there sang. And it doesn't make your grief easier, but it gives you a lot of peace yeah. and a lot of comfort of when you're reunited and how joyful that will be. And you'll never have to let go. Yeah. Becca, what have been some of the, the people or the resources that have helped you navigate this journey? Oh, that's a good question because there's a lot of people who have never walked this journey, but there's also a lot of people who have. Some people have gone through this journey. His wife was great. And then a ministry called Able Speaks, and their whole ministry is to connect families facing terminal diagnosis or terminal illness, however you want to word it, life-limiting, and just lead them into what that might look like. Specifically for pregnancies? Yes. Okay. And you can connect with them after your loss. So I set up a meeting with them to hope to still be pregnant, and I wasn't, but they still were able to lead us even though she had passed. They do a whole mentorship of, like, 
because they help you plan a funeral because a lot of people don't know how to plan a child's funeral, obviously. Photography in Texas, they're based in Texas and stuff like that. The community and people we've met through Able Speaks is great. So, yeah. So what are some of the conversations you've had with the mentor couple that you've met through Able Speaks? In what way? Other than like planning details, have they been like, do they pray with you? Do they talk about sp- spiritual things with you? Do they offer counseling? Like what, what is some of those, what other, like other than the planning of like oh, right. details, what other, what other things do they provide? They do pray for you okay. and they offer resources near you or wherever you might be. But one of my favorite things is they send you things with your baby's name on them. Mm. That's like a super added thing because all you want is your baby's name to be spoken about and remembered all the time. And so we have like a whole box that says Ezra K. Um, and her weight and her birth date and how big she was. And then a hat with her name or a blanket with her name on it that they made. They do those things, momentums, so that you have something tangible to hold. And that's one of the biggest things I'll tell any person that's a lost mom or a friend of a lost mom, anything tangible. Um, so they can wear it, hold it. Even if they didn't know the gender, if they had a name picked out, something tangible with their name or birth flower, anything like that. That's something that they've done that means like the world to us that we'll keep for forever and tell her little siblings about. Out of the items in that box, do you have a favorite? No. They're all great. They're all precious mm-hmm. in their own way. Yeah. Okay. Before we switch on the mics, you were talking about how this is just not a topic that people readily talk about. Mm-hmm. So you're a part of a club that you never asked to be a part of, mm-hmm. and it's brutal. But you're trying to use this story to open up conversations with other people who are in that space or who might be in that space or know somebody who could be in that space. For people who are watching a friend go through this journey, what can they say? What can they do? What advice do you have for them? Because it can be brutal to watch somebody that you love hurt. And sometimes people don't know what to say. And in the worst case scenario, they get spooked and they don't say anything at all. Yeah. I think it's a case by case, right? Because you'll know your friends and your family better than anybody. Yep. The few things that you would want to do is intentionally check in. And by intentionally not being like, how are you? Don't ask them how they are doing. And then don't ask them what they need. Just provide like a meal time. Allowing to hold space to sit in their grief is one of the best things you can do. And maybe not even like have to always talk about why they're sad and why. You know why they're sad. You know why they're heavy, why it's heavy. Maybe take them out to get out of the house, do something or remind them. I mean, we live in the snow, but reminding them to get out or going out with them because driving can be hard for them. Um, and just being there, holding space and being intentional about, hey, like, can I come over and just drink coffee with you? Hmm. And if they have living children, assisting with that so they can do some self-care on themselves. Maybe they just want to shower alone or um, do something alone for like 30 minutes and you just step in and just help a little bit. Um, And not necessarily asking, how are you doing? What do you need? Sometimes we don't know what we need, and we don't know how we are. Um, we just want you to step in into that grief with us yep. and just be there. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. I know your husband isn't here with us, but what would you, what would you say to dads who are walking through this journey with their wives? What what input or counsel do you have for them? It's okay to cry, because um, I think a lot of men think that they need to hold it together um, or not show those vulnerable emotions. It's okay to be sad, and it's okay to be angry, um, moms or dads too. And yeah, as a dad. Because it's different. Your bond is different because she didn't grow inside of you, Mm -hmm. but she was very much yours. So to remind yourself as the dad, the baby was very much yours too. And it's not just your wife's grief. It is your own grief too. And that's okay to sit in that and that's okay to rest in it. And to hopefully have some good buddies around you to bring you out of that too and hold space and allow space for that as well. When was Ezra's birthday? October 12th, 2022. Okay, so it hasn't been, we're recording this conversation in January, so it hasn't been all that long. Three months. Becca, how has going through this experience changed the way that you see God? I see God in a whole different way of knowing he is good and believing that and discerning that and proclaiming that. Um because before I was like, yeah, God is good all the time. Um, and sometimes it can feel like he's bad, and that's okay. And you're also allowed to question him and shift your focus to, like, is this a good thing? Will there be goodness out of it? Seeing him provide and continue to provide and continue to be good and let her story live on is what he's doing. Yeah. And her story has so much purpose. And I know that there's so many other children out there that have so much meaning as well. And it's not just my daughter. It's not just the friends that I have that I've made through this journey. It's so many other babies and so many other families. Becca, it sounds like you're passionate about leveraging Ezra's story to be of service and encouragement to others. How is that taking shape? Connecting with other families um, on a lost mom page that I am on um, because something that I know is so morbid is babies die every day. Mm -hmm. And so just helping other moms, there's a lot of moms that will post like, I just found out that baby is passed. How do I prepare for induction? Mm -hmm. My best three things are try to find the joy as hard as it is. Take all the pictures And I hate to say they're just a memory. They're not just a memory, but it will be all that you have. And hold them all the time. And get those molds done, if your hospital allows. And the cuddle cot, because that helps their body stay what it is. Because their bodies do deteriorate pretty quickly. And did you you do pictures? Did you do molds? And Mm -hmm. that that was a really precious experience for you. Yeah. And it's great when your hospital knows and can prepare. I hate the horror stories of they weren't prepared and they were rushed to deliver and rushed out. Um, We were never rushed. So, and all of my nurses asked what I wanted done and if there was anything else that they could do to 
preserve her memory and who she is. So that was helpful. So making sure you have a good care team is important too. And did you come with like a written birth plan or did you have like formal things that were like in writing so that people knew or did you just kind of communicate those verbally with your birth team? I communicated them with our nurse, our friend OB, and she had them all like in her little memory box so that I didn't have to reiterate during okay, delivery. Good, good. And then she reiterated to my night nurse and my other day nurse that when she wasn't there. So the people who kind of are the, are the nurses who are on site, they're a really meaningful part of your mm-hmm. journey when they do their job well. Yes. And I assume they do, right? Sure. Um, but it helps when they know when yeah. you're walking in through those doors. Because our room even had like a little symbol on it that our baby had passed. So like Mm. people knew to be a little sensitive. Sure. Which is good because you want people to know that a little bit so they're not like, oh, look at my really cute baby down the hall. So, or to talk about other patients and their babies they may have just delivered. They weren't doing that. Good, good. But thank you so much. Yeah. For just being willing to share your story. Do you have any other final thoughts or things that you would want to say to people who are walking this path or who may walk this path in the future? That God is still good and you'll find it every day and it's not supposed to be easy. So Becca, what do you say to like a skeptic who are like, you lost your first and only child. How Mm -hmm. could you possibly say that God is good? Like, what would you say to the person who's just like, that doesn't add up for me? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. It doesn't add up. Right. It's not so sad up. But, like, why do I believe God is so good? Yeah, how do you know? Because I know that my story was written out, and he knew that Ezra was going to pass away on October 12th. And that's how I know he's good, because he wasn't surprised. Hmm. And that's one thing that I remind myself of. He wasn't like... Oh my goodness, Rebecca's going to lose her child at 23. Today's the day. He knew. Mm. And to remind yourself that he's all-knowing is a good thing. And that he wept when his son died. And his son died for us. And that's how I know he's good too. Because a lot of people were sending me scriptures during that time. And I was like, you're right. God's only son, our only daughter, died too. Just imagine how he felt, too, even though he knew. It still makes him sad. And that's how I know he's good, too. He feels everything we feel. The heavens weep when you weep. That's how I know he's still good. Like, I love the fact that you didn't like that. You didn't try to, like, skate over the top of the grief, because I think there are some people who you almost feel like they're not. They're skipping steps, right? Sometimes there are people like, oh, there's a resurrection and there's a God who's loving and there's sunshine and there's rainbows and everything's going to be fine. And yes, but like you have to go through the valley first in order to have like a real authentic journey where you're being honest about what what you love and what you've lost. Yeah. And it will ebb and flow. It's not supposed to be just clear cut. Yeah. If I'm in the valley and everything's wrapped up in a bow afterwards, it can go up and down. Yeah. It's not supposed to be up all the time and then down and then up. One of the things that we've talked about with other people on the show is that, like, grief doesn't go in a straight line. And I think that there are some people who are like, oh, well, there are these steps of grief. And it's kind of like a ladder. And you go up the ladder and then you get out of the grief hole. And that's just not how life works. Right. Where grief is not linear and neither is healing. Yeah. It's going to be curvy, funky, wavy. 
And it sounds like you are giving yourself patience and grace to go where that journey takes you. A lot of grace. And being around people who give you grace yeah. is important. Instead of being like, you should forget about what you've been through. Right. No. Remember her. Because my dear friend, we got to have coffee and just talk about our babies. Yeah. And that was the best. To just be with a, a mom who's been through a similar journey and delight in our babies. And all that they're supposed to be. So So that's fun. No, that's great to hear. It's great to hear you say that. Becca, thank you for your candor. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your story. Thank you for sharing just a slice of who Ezra is with us. It's a story that has light in it and beauty in it. And we're grateful that God gave her you. Thank you. Because out of all of the out of the billions of people that he could have chosen to be Ezra's mom, Becca was her was, mommy was the one. Yeah. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.